we'll open your Bibles again to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John 1, and we'll finish, Lord willing, what we started last Sunday in verses 30 through 34. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we come before your word. Cause us to see and to hear wonderful things from your word. May they be a delight to our soul. May they be a lamp to our feet. May they be sweeter than anything else that we could find in this life. May they be life and grace to us as we hear it. And as we see the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, we pray for His sake. Amen. Let me pick up again in verse 29, and we'll read through verse 34, and then come back. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Last week, as we began this particular passage, we said that John the Baptist in his ministry is helpful to us in two ways. First, he shows us the authority of Jesus Christ, one who comes and speaks with authority. Secondly, as we will get to this morning, John speaks to us of the authenticity of Jesus as being the genuine article, the the very Son of God, not simply another prophet, not simply another good teacher, but one who is the Son of God. No greater truth needs to be recognized by all men than that one truth, that Jesus is the very Son of God. Not a son of God, the son of God. Not partially God, truly God, while being truly man. We started out last week by saying that evangelicalism in our day has a problem. That problem is this. That far too many, 30% of professing evangelicals no longer believe that Jesus is the very Son of God. Simply a good teacher. And so John corrects that record for us. John spells out very clearly the truths about Jesus that we need to know here in this text. John has been speaking about the authority as we covered last week. And he said Jesus is simply authoritative. He possesses all authority for two reasons. 
by way of reminder. Number one, He existed before I did. He is the reason for everything that you see. He says that very clearly, right? In verse 30, He has a higher rank, an authoritative rank, more than I have, even though I am the great prophet, the final prophet sent to pave the way for him, he possesses greater authority as one who existed before I did. And Jesus is keen to pick up on that theme in his own preaching. Throughout the Gospel of John, he says to the Jews in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. Using his self-existent name, his eternal name, he possesses all authority in heaven and in earth. In fact, heaven and earth exist because of His authority. Because of His power. And they exist for His authority and for His power to make that known. And so, the Baptist is here very clearly enumerating. But not only is Jesus authoritative because He's preexistent, He was authoritative because He is preeminent. He is preeminent. He is above everything else. And John says that my ministry, as we move into our final verses in this passage this morning, that the purpose for my ministry is to show the preeminence of Christ by proving His authenticity as to who He was. How did He do that? How did he do that? Well, John chooses to illustrate the preeminence of Christ and the authenticity of Christ by John's baptizing of Jesus. And we might think that that's somehow a very strange thing. And we understand that the the other gospel writers record more detail about that day. And the voice from heaven descends and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the very Son of God. And yet when we read John's account here in John chapter 1, it might seem a little disjointed, a little off balance, if you will, as to how John accomplishes showing the preeminence of Christ and the authenticity of Christ in His baptism. And we just need to... to, back up for a moment and say that that Jesus' baptism was necessary. It was a monumental event. It's something that we can't just skip over. It's not just a, a religious rite of passage that Jesus goes through. John says that I am sent to baptize with water so that Jesus might be manifest or known or proven to be the Son of God to all Israel. That's why I'm here, John says. It's such a big deal that if John the Baptist had baptized no one else, his ministry of baptizing in water was worth it all just to baptize Jesus. Because in baptizing Jesus... It speaks to the preeminent authenticity of the Son of God. That baptism, and as John speaks about it in verses 32 to 34, manifests Jesus. John says, I didn't recognize Him. There were times, you remember, when John, and we actually read from 
Luke last week where John the Baptist actually struggles. He, he wrestles to know, Jesus, are you sure? You're the Messiah. Are you him or do we look for someone else? And Jesus says to John's disciples, what? You go tell John. And then he authoritatively quotes from Isaiah and says, this is what Isaiah says the Messiah will do. And that's exactly what I've been doing. Go tell John. I am he. John says, I didn't recognize him, but I have been sent to conduct this ministry of baptism so that he can be recognized. John the Baptist then is the agent of this monumental act of baptism in water whereby the whole world will know without a doubt Jesus is the Son of God. To clear up any doubt in anyone's mind. John says, secondly, I've been sent for this one monumental act. But secondly, this monumental act is not just to reveal Christ as the Son of God. It is to reveal that the baptism He will bring is far superior to the one I brought. There's something greater than being baptized in water, and that is to be baptized by the Spirit. I, my baptism in water is just a prototype. It's just a symbol and a shadow of something greater that is coming through Jesus, right? He says, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon Him, this one, this Jesus, will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Jesus will immerse us, those who believe in Him, those who heed John's message in a far superior, a forever baptism that changes you. It doesn't just get you wet, it gets you right. And John says, it is necessary to show the surpassing authority of Jesus by His preexistence, by His preeminence in baptism, so that you will understand what is coming. It's prophetic. It's prophetic. Jesus possesses such authority because He possesses authenticity. Have you ever been around someone who doesn't really have any authority and yet they try to act like they have authority? Those kind of people are quite annoying, aren't they? And to be honest, they're dangerous. They can be some of the most vicious people. They can be some of the most underhanded, some of the least trustworthy people when they don't possess authority, yet they want to make themselves authoritative and so they'll do whatever is necessary to Try to force a pseudo-authority upon you. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is authoritative because of what John now turns his attention to, and that is his authenticity. Jesus has every right to claim everything that he claimed because he is the authoritative, authentic Son of God. So let me ask you a question. What do you know about Jesus? What do you know about him? Not just, again, in a Bible story, Sunday school fashion. Those are great truths to take into our heart. But what do you actually know about him? Do you know that about Jesus? That he reserves the right and makes the rightful claim over your life as your creator? And if you are a believer as your savior? 
do you live to make that known to others around you as John the Baptist did? Or is something about us in the way? Do we see ourselves as authoritative? Do we see ourselves as more important? Do we see ourselves as preeminent? Let's look at how John the Baptist confirms the authenticity, the genuineness of Jesus as the Son of God. As John does so, he gives that brief accounting of the baptism. Now, you can go to other Gospels and you can read a fuller accounting of the baptism of Jesus. That doesn't mean John's is inaccurate. John's purpose is not to include every detail that every other writer included. Rather, the purpose for the difference in all the Gospel writers is to simply cover all the various angles. From their different point of view, what they saw, what they witnessed, with their own personalities. And so John, rather than giving a full accounting of Jesus' baptism, gives us more a a, a theological accounting of Jesus' baptism. For instance, in verse 32, as John picks up this idea of the authenticity of Jesus, John is saying that he had seen the Spirit descend. In other words, this is not Jesus' actual baptism. This comes sometime later. And John is saying, I'm writing to you as a point of historical record. This has happened. I I was there. I watched it. I saw its effects. And I am bearing witness to that truth. that, That heaven opened up and authenticated the Son of God standing there in the water with me. The Father and the Spirit declare the glory of the Son, the authenticity of the Son in this act. And John is saying, because of that I can say to you, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If Jesus is not what John says He is in verses 30-34, through then John has no right to make the claim that He does in verse 29. 29 hinges upon the authenticity and the authority that John reveals to be true about Jesus here to his own disciples. And remember, that's who John is largely dealing with at this point. John the Baptist is speaking to his disciples, wanting to transfer the authority and their dependence upon him for truth from God to Jesus. John's saying, I'm here, but I was only here to prepare the way for something greater. Thus, John is not threatened by his authority. John has seen who Jesus really is. He has seen his authenticity. And for us this morning, John would have us to see God has preserved this word so that we would see and rest and trust in the authenticity of Jesus as well. John had been told by God, according to verse 33, that he would have a sign. John, here will be your sign. And John says, listen, in the flesh, in my own strength, in my own wisdom, I had trouble recognizing him. But God, in order that he would be recognized by me, said, when you see the Spirit descend upon this one, know he is the Son of God. The Spirit, unlike the Old Testament, were he would descend and 
rest upon people for a particular purpose and a particular reason. And it was a temporary residing. Jesus has a permanent residing of the Spirit upon Him. It does not leave Him. He is empowered by the Spirit, testified to through the Spirit for the rest of His life. Consider Acts chapter 10. Opening His mouth, Peter says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears Him and does what is right is welcome to Him. The word which He sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. There's His authority. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. That's where we are this morning. Acts 10.38 You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Authenticity and authority. And so John says, I was there. I know, I was a first-hand witness to this. As the Holy Spirit descended and rested upon Jesus, I knew in that moment, I didn't need to search elsewhere. What John is doing here, what John the Baptist is doing, is what we all ought to do. John is doing it perhaps more discreetly than we might realize, but nevertheless, John is doing it. And that is to say this, John is not appealing solely to the basis of his experience. John the Baptist is appealing to the authority of Scripture. Our experience, brothers and sisters, is not authoritative. If someone asks you, how you know something to be true, don't start the answer by saying, well, I felt or I feel. Start by doing what John does and go to the Word of God. My basis, my confidence, my authority is this, that all the way back to the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, I read this, that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Who's the Him? Messiah. Well, who did the Spirit of the Lord rest upon? Jesus. Make the connection, John says. That must then be Messiah. I'm not telling you because I felt something when it happened. I am telling you because Isaiah said it would happen. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It was all over Jesus. His appeal for the authenticity of Christ goes to what Scripture says. Again in Isaiah chapter 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. This is the one. This is how you will know. John the Baptist, what a day that must have been for him. Here comes his cousin. Here comes one who is yet largely unknown. Here is John who's developed quite a following. 
And if one were to look simply at the human perspective of what is transpiring here, one would be tempted to say, maybe it's John the Baptist who has the real authority. Maybe it's John the Baptist who's the Messiah. Because after all, look how many people follow him. Look with what uh, eloquent words he speaks. Look at the power in his ministry. This guy is really something. And then along comes Jesus, a man few had heard of to this point. A man who has done nothing to demonstrate a man who really has no followers. He is a a loner at this point. And rather than be jealous of the authority of Jesus, John the Baptist realizes his place. Do you realize your place? Just to point others to Christ. Would that more Christians felt our calling in life was to simply proclaim and herald as John the Baptist does the authority and the authenticity of Jesus. Would to the Lord that more preachers would get out of the way and simply herald the authenticity and the authority of Jesus. This is what truly matters. And John bases this in the Old Testament's own words. And unlike, again, John's baptism, Jesus is not there to get wet. Jesus is there to have the Spirit demonstrably in front of the crowds that had come to hear John. Jesus now takes over and the Spirit permanently is placed upon Him. So that the power of the Godhead... Father, Son, and Spirit, now in harmony and in total unity, would work for the purpose of bringing about our salvation. What a glorious scene this is. Jesus being baptized and John saying, I was there. I was there and I saw it and I heard it and I remembered that it coincides with the teaching of And the authority of Scripture. And it is for you that He has done this. It goes all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 36 where the prophet Ezekiel speaks of the fulfillment of the new covenant, the the promise of God in redemption through Christ. In Ezekiel 36 verse 25, he says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. When the Spirit comes upon us. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Where did that start? With Jesus? And cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. To submit to his authority. To submit to his authenticity. Christ is called in scripture the first fruits. The the leading example. In, In Christ and the first fruits, here we have this demonstrated in his baptism as 
the Spirit first comes upon Him, just as it will then come in us, just as Ezekiel prophesied. This is God's authentic revelation. This is God's ultimate fulfillment of those Old Testament promises to redeem His people. And John the Baptist is simply saying, I was here to proclaim Him and to demonstrate that. Don't you know that John the Baptist, as well as others who lived in Jesus' day, who knew their Bibles, who knew their Old Testament, what a great moment this was. God had not come as He so often had. And when God came upon His people, and when God came down upon people, it was often for the purpose of judgment, wasn't it? They they had seen the earth open up and swallow people. They saw fire fall from heaven. They saw destruction and judgment upon the earth. And and when Isaiah encountered God, the, the one who gives us the basis for so much of Jesus' ministry in the Old Testament, when Isaiah sees God, he falls down like a dead man. But no longer. God had finally come to meet with mankind, not for judgment, but for salvation. And John is rejoicing, and that is why John can say, Behold the Lamb of God, that sacrificial Lamb, the one, the only one, who can take away sin in this world. And John concludes in verse 34. I myself have seen and testified. These are not merely uh, the words of any normal human being. These are inspired words. I have testified. I have sealed my testimony that this, this man right here, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descending and, and resting permanently upon. He is the Son of God. No ambiguity. No equivocation. No nuance. No qualification. Just sheer authentication, sheer authority. John says, this is Him. We need more Christians like that. We need more Christians that actually believe like that. Not, well, I believe, but I'm open to maybe something else coming down the pipe. Do you believe the Word of God or no? Bodhi Bauckham said recently in a message that too often in our preaching, it dies the death of a thousand qualifications. Well, let me say what I don't mean first. And they spend the first 50 minutes saying what you don't mean or what your doubts are or what this, that, and the other. Or let's nuance this thing to death. That is a blight upon modern Christianity. 
We do well and we find life and we live in the words of John the Baptist. This is Him. Case closed. Case closed. Authoritative. Authenticated. Life-changing. World-changing. For those who see this and recognize this. This is Him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that starting in Genesis up through Malachi, we have the prophecies about Jesus, that in the Gospels we have the fulfillment of those prophecies in Jesus? And then from Acts to Revelation, we have the flourishing and the multiplication of the witness to Jesus. Do you believe that? Is that where you stake your life, your eternity, just as John the Baptist says, this is him? You can't convince me otherwise. Too often... Nowadays, evangelical Christianity is like the little meme that floats around. Some statement will be made, and the guy's got the sign hanging on his table, and it says, change my mind. Christianity's not like that. You can't change it. <laughs> Do you believe? Then that's the end of the story. That's the way it must be. We must see it as John the Baptist sees it. And I want you to Imagine with me what it would have been like to be John the Baptist that night. Can you imagine trying to sleep after you had seen what he saw? I would imagine it was somewhat difficult. John himself had handled, as he says, or as John the Apostle says in 1 John, who our eyes have seen, who our hands have handled the Word. Touched him. We heard the voice out of heaven. Uh, and remember, it, it wasn't all that long ago that the children of Israel begged God, don't speak anymore. We'll die. We'll die. Don't call us to come near the mountain. Don't speak anymore from the mountain. We've heard enough. We've seen enough. We know who you are and we know that we are sin-filled people. And if you speak again, we will die. Go read Hebrews 12. Weak knees. Trembling hands. And here John the Baptist had Jesus, the very Son of God, come to him to be baptized. And as He is baptizing Him, heaven speaks. But this time, there's no fear of death. There's only the hope of life. The Savior for the world had come. John saw it. The Savior, uh, Savior of Israel had come. John knew it. The Savior for you has come. And you too must know it. You cannot afford, brothers and sisters, to get Jesus wrong. You cannot afford to equivocate on who He is. 
you equivocate on who Jesus is, verse 29 means nothing for you. He is no longer the Lamb of God for you should you choose to equivocate, to abandon, to deny the rest of the truth presented in verses 30 through 34. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And once you get Jesus right, you must preach Jesus right. So, but, but God hasn't called me to a pulpit ministry. You can still preach Jesus to your family, to your neighbors, to your children. You must proclaim Him to be who He said He is. We have the first example of that next Sunday, Lord willing. Andrew. Sweet Andrew. We don't see him very often in Scripture, but every time we see him, he's bringing somebody to meet Jesus. Because he's convinced he's the Son of God. He's moved that the Son of God has come for him. The woman at the well, in a couple of chapters, she meets Jesus, and she doesn't know a lot about Jesus. She probably doesn't even know it. Being a Samaritan really doesn't even have as full a grasp on the law as the Jewish people did. But she runs back into the village and she says, Come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Now who goes around confessing their sin like that? Somebody who believes that those sins have been forgiven. But she knew who Jesus was. She grasped it. She believed it. The authoritative, authenticated, saving Son of God. Do you believe that? If you do, it will change everything about you. And if not, everything about us has changed. We need to question whether or not we've really believed it. It's far too easy, I think, especially in the Bible Belt where we live, to confuse what seeing and believing Jesus really means. I think the evidence is clear in that survey. 30%. 30% of church-going, professing evangelicals claim, ah, Jesus... Good person, good teacher, not the Son of God. May we not be numbered among the 30%. May we be people who believe. No equivocation. No qualification. Only joyful, exuberant proclamation. What I have seen and testified, this is the Son of God. May God put those words in our heart, in our mind, and in our mouth. May He cause us to believe. Let's pray.
Father, you, you alone give sight to the blind. You alone give life to the dead. You alone give ears to the deaf. You alone give words to the mute. And in these similar examples, you say to the disciples of John the Baptist, go tell John I've done these things. And so give us eyes to see, Lord Jesus, that you are the Son of God. Give us ears to hear you because you are the Word of God. Give us words to speak because you are the hope of God. And may we never shy away from, be confused, be ashamed of who you are. It's easy for us to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. When that gospel is truncated to a few Easily memorizable facts. But what we really must wrestle with, Lord, is that the gospel of God is Jesus Christ. And to be ashamed of Him, to be silent about Him, It's to be apart from the gospel, the saving gospel. May we say with authenticated authority, this, you, Lord Jesus, are the Son of God, and I am not ashamed. Nor am I confused. This is it. You are He. You are the Savior, the only hope for us and for anyone else who would believe. Any other God that we would put before us, including our own intellect, is no God at all. Rather, it's the creation of fallen men's minds. But Lord Jesus, I ask You this morning that there would be no other God before us. That we would hope in You, believe in You, that every person here in the room this morning, every person listening online, would believe in who You are. And that in believing they might have life in Your name, Son of God. But again, Lord, we can't see, we can't hear, we can't speak, we can't believe unless you arouse the dead and bring them to life to see and to hear, to believe and to speak these things. So Holy Spirit, as you descended upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to authenticate Him, may you speak and work and open eyes and make hearts live as you promised in Ezekiel, take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that, it, that they might believe. You are the Savior. You must then do the saving. So 
to save for your own glory, for your own praise. May everyone here be found today and for all eternity saying, Jesus, you are the saving Son of God. And in you and in you alone, my hope rests. Make it so, Lord, only you can do it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.